Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Dying Time is here. That's right, we're talking about 1982's Next of Kin on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from a small bush town in Australia. This is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. Now, we're going to unpack all the gory details of 1982's Ozploitation classic, Next of Kin, in the hopes that... Uh, a, a senior citizen's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we might make at their expense. And as always, uh, there's only one person I trust that if I enter a fugue state while building a sugar cube pyramid, she will hand me another bowl when I run out. The one, the only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? I'm really excited to talk about this movie. I, I you know, I, I don't know that the the hillbilly revenge seller with Patrick Swayze next of kin really fits oh. in our uh, in uh. Our, uh, our our normal lineup. But you know, I'm, I'm uh. willing to think outside the box. You know, uh, I just mm-hmm. this is going to be a weird show. <laughs> oh, is there something wrong? Uh, yeah, I mean, as much as I like dropping snakes on people as a booby trap, like anyone else on Earth, uh, we're actually discussing the little seen, little known, little discussed 1982 next of kin. That's that's 1989's next of kin. All right. You know, I'll be back in about a half hour then. OK, sure. Uh, Joe, well, let's uh, continue on while Gina quickly watches a 90 minute movie in 30 minutes. But uh, I don't want to, to frighten everybody by that prospect. But we're also not alone. That's right. We have a very special guest. Of course, you know him from his writing on Bloody Disgusting. And of course, his uh, podcast, Horror Queers. And you know, he, he's he's a returning champion here to Kill by Kill. The one, the only, Joe Lipset. How are you doing today, Joe? Hello. Thank you so much for having me back. I actually think that this makes me your number one most returned guest. You could be. I might you're, have you're to kill Brennan right. or Megan. It's one of the two. Yeah, it's between you. There's going to have to be like a, like a, like a, 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 blowout match to you and Megan. I'm always <laughs> down a, for a cream corn wrestling. So cause she, bring cause it she's on. already, cause she's already, but well, you should know she's like five foot 10. So she might be able to <laughs> kick your ass. I can probably drop kick her. Bring it on. <laughs> she's got that crazy mom strike. So you're gonna want, she's wily. That's the other thing. Um, yeah. Brennan is in there and then Becky is in there as well. So yeah, there's, there's a, there's a triumvirate. You know what we should do is we should uh, have a March Madness where we Ooh. run you off against one another. How fun would that be? Plans. Yeah. Plans for next year. Plans for next year. Well, let's let's stick to one year in particular. That's 1982 in the middle of the Osploitation, uh, you know, uh, boon. Joe, mm-hmm. uh, I kind of know the answer to this, but not everyone will have read the article in which we kind of co-wrote together about this movie. But <laughs> when was the first time you watched Next of Kin? Yeah, so it was a couple of years ago, and I had admittedly never seen or heard of this movie until I started doing a writing project on my website uh, called Horror Bucket List. So I would invite Mm -hmm. people to bring a film to me that they thought I should see, and you brought this. And I was excited, except for the poster, because the poster (laughs) art is absolutely terrible for this movie. Yeah, and then. I sit down to watch it. And the only thing you can really ever find about this movie is that it's an exploitation film and Quentin Tarantino thinks it's as good as The Shining, which is, yeah. okay, Quentin, let's <laughs> take a seat. <laughs> but then you sit down and watch this motherfucker and it is an honest-to-God classic and it yeah. feels like nobody talks about it. Yes, I feel it is a criminally underseen. I, I just... I had never heard about it until the aforementioned Quentin Tarantino thing. He had mm-hmm. uh, been a part of the Ozploitation um, documentary that's out there and uh, who's the name of which is, escapes me at the moment. But uh, he was just so effervescent and effusive with his praise of this film. And, you know, this guy uh, who directed it, um, he didn't really go on to do any other 
cinematic work. He did a mm-hmm. lot of documentary work and he also directed TV miniseries stuff. But Tony Williams did not, this was a quote unquote disappointment. Um, probably because it's hard to market, hence a giant red devil hand reaching down to a house. <laughs> well, that was why I actually did wonder while looking for this movie if I had the right movie or not. Right. Because <laughs> because the the artwork on because I watched it on Shutter and th- this sure. was actually the first time I'd seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, had like a little like a little ghostly girl on it. I'm like, Is oh god, right yes, movie? that's the other <laughs> shitty box art yeah. for this. And Patrick, the documentary for listeners who are interested is called Not Quite Hollywood. It's from 2008 that's right excellent documentary and you will come away from watching it with this monster list of all of these crazy exploitation movies to watch Mm -hmm. and there's just something about a hermetically sealed movement just like in music when seattle was a scene or when atlanta was a scene or when new york was a scene or any of those locales that suddenly uh, they have their own like little mini industry of bands who are all making interesting music in that late seventies to early eighties, the Australian government had a tax uh, coupon sort of mm-hmm. deal where uh, they would allow filmmakers to submit their plans to make movies and they would subsidize a, a, a significant portion of the movie and it allowed people to make all sorts of interesting films, but it also allowed made uh, allowed um, leches <laughs> to make mm-hmm. a bunch of sex movies, mm-hmm. and eventually <laughs> they got to horror and action. Oh yeah, my favorite thing is how this parallels the tax shelter era here in Canada, where I'm Absolutely. from, and from that period we get things like My Bloody Valentine and Happy Death. Oh, nope. <laughs> uh, happy birthday to me. Yeah. And a bunch of other Please great Canadian put some slashers. respect on happy birthday to me's name. Uh, yes. our, our beloved happy birthday to me. Yes, it's the happy of birthdays that doesn't have Chris Landon and a baby face in it. Right, true. exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's actually very similar to what Canadians did where we said, okay, we would like to start a film industry. And when you open those floodgates and allow people with deep pockets to begin making movies, they quickly realize, oh, if I make a genre film, that's how mm-hmm. I can get the biggest return on investment. So it's a similar thing when you look at these exploitation films and the The sad thing is that the people of the country that are making the movies don't like these movies because they feel it's not a good representation of what they can do. So a lot of these filmmakers make great movies and then never go on to do anything because their own country doesn't support them. And it's really hard to then distribute them. Like it's one of the reasons why nobody has seen Next of Kin is because until it got boutique DVD releases and Shudder picked it up, you couldn't find this motherfucking movie. No, it was nowhere to be found. And, you know, there were, there were, you know, you could buy a VHS of it for like $300, but mm-hmm. who would want to watch this movie on VHS for $300? No. Not sure who. Mm-hmm. It's not the best presentation for it. Uh, I do wish this was put up on a big screen more often, but yeah, you know, hope, God willing, we'll get to more <laughs> uh, revival screenings in in the in the near future. But mm-hmm. this is one of those movies I think would be a revelation to people. Like if you're in an all night horrorthon and this comes on at midnight, people would not know what to do with themselves. They, yeah, they just they would wonder for the first. 45 minutes what the fuck is going on and the back 45 minutes they're like they're on the edge of their seat fists clinched unbelievable how much tension this sort of ratchets up as it goes Mm -hmm. um it's so fucking stylish oh my god the thing like uh, gina how did how did this come across as a first time viewing for you well i you're you're right about the whole you know first half you know, I'm kind of thinking, eh, all right. <laughs> and and then, you know, probably about the last half hour, I'm like, oh, okay. I, I get why people are into this now. Yeah. But I thought, it, you know, it felt, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, homages to it. Uh, it I, you know, you know this, the, um, the director's, you know, definitely seen Giallo movies. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Yes. Um, I, I love the, the slow motion running away <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the proof that absolutely no one makes an attractive face when they're running and screaming in slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> it becomes a very sweaty movie in the bank half and you don't, you're really talking about that sex scene. That. Oh, I was going to say <laughs> that that's a very oily sex scene. <laughs> I loved it. Authentic sex. People, people get messy when they have sex. <laughs> I will say that, that I, I do, I do genuinely believe there should be more horror movies set in, in nursing home type uh, oh, settings yeah. because I find nursing homes absolutely terrifying. I, I have ever since I was a kid and my mom used to work at a nursing home and would occasionally take me with her on the weekends if she didn't have a babysitter. Mm. Uh, none of those old people are ever happy to see you. They're, they're, mm. they're, they're all miserable um, it's just, you know, it, it's, you know, death is in the air. And uh, other than like this and Dr. Sleep, I can't think of any that, that I, I guess it's, you know, kind of a setting that's hard to treat respectfully, but they're just, they seem so ripe for, for, you know, a movie where terrible things happen in, in a certain setting. Sure. Because death is a part of life around there. People don't really get hysterical necessarily when somebody passes because that's kind of a weekly occurrence off the top of the dome you can go the comedy direction with bubba hotep oh oh that's true yeah that's true and then i haven't it's on my to watch pile uh, but i haven't gotten to it yet but the manor um uh, is on amazon right now that just came out didn't it that just Mm -hmm. came out okay okay the 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 house that they look like they use for it definitely feels like XL, XL Carolyn's, you know, I went to maybe a little bit of next of kin. I, I, I can't say for certain, but the choice of that house in particular, other than the fact that it was the house in house to the next story, I can't imagine <laughs> that was the reason she chose it, but who can say? Um, but uh, yes, I would like to see more things in that direction. And I think in the last couple of years, we've had a lot more of the quote unquote old horror uh, with the yeah, yeah. I think of Deborah I, Logan. Right. Um, uh, uh, the Dark and the Wicked was another one. Yeah, that, exactly. I, yeah, yeah. I watched that a week ago and I haven't stopped thinking about it since. <laughs> oh my God, Gina, that one. Ooh, yes. Yeah. It yeah. crawls in the back of your head. It will. I mean, again, that is kill by kill approved. But if you want another horror movie that you want to watch once and get a lot out of it, and then just have it live in the back of your head for a long time, mm-hmm. Dark and the Wicked. Just put that in your player, baby, and get up and go. It is not have a, a good bad time. time tonight. <laughs> Ooh, let's make it a double bill, and we'll throw Relic onto that pile, which is also <laughs> Australian. <laughs> Just, just you know, just make a triple header and end it with hereditary. You know? I mean, yeah, sure. Oh my God! Oh, <laughs> fill out your prescription for antidepressants before you do this triple bill. With people. Um, but yeah, next of kin has a, a it is very Euro influenced. You know, you mm-hmm. can sort of feel. I, I don't know when when we were writing back and forth about it, Joe. I know you made a lot of allusions um to uh now the the name of it has escaped my head Did yeah you- i know it's like a, a sickness i was very much inclined to think of don't look now with donald sutherland uh, yeah. and julie christie mm-hmm. for sure yeah it's got, it's it all just, about the it, water imagery it's about reflective uh, surfaces we've even got like a red ball at one point it's sure. uh yeah very yeah. influenced by it it's a it's a real slow burn, and um, because of that, it kind of you you begin to wonder like when is the horror movie going to begin? And mm-hmm. then when floating old men start banging on your window underwater, you're like, oh, okay, this uh. this might be a horror movie, I, I think. And then the other component of it that's really I think is can be off putting for some is that old trope of, is this happening or am I crazy? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of 
lady maybe having a breakdown in this movie. <laughs> yeah, possible uh, white lady in trouble. I don't know where I, you know, came up with such a, a title off the top of my head, but I'm sure it'll come to me eventually. Um, <laughs> but we, what we have here is a pretty simple s- setup. We've got Linda and she's back in town, baby. <laughs> she's feeling good. Uh, she's not actually. Let's, uh, let's see. Let's use the word town very loosely here. Right. <laughs> it, it is generous to call this a town. I do like that. We get to see that scene where she busts in because she's yes, definitely having a nervous breakdown and or a panic attack. And, uh, she breaks into like a town hall meeting filled with people. And you just think, where did all these people come from? Because we have seen one burger shack in the middle of fucking nowhere. And then we've got this retirement home. Yeah. And they're all the, I guess the, the Bush fireman league mm-hmm. uh, from, from what the, the guy on stage who, you know, all I could think of when he's up there is like Monty Python sketches. Because he's wearing the giant wide brim hat. He's got beer in hand while he's having this town meeting. And he's also informing everyone, don't have a fight with your wife this week. Which is like, is this something that needs to be said out loud? Apparently it is. In Australia, this could be a weekly occurrence. (laughs) I say that with love. I lived in Australia for a year. Great people. Oh boy, Mm -hmm. do they love to party and get into trouble though. The I always wanted to get out there uh, after I was working in Japan and I could never quite work it out because I was like, I'm halfway there, baby. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I was just uh, entranced by the very idea of the one thing I knew about Australia, which was that at one point, a lot of the bars um, had tile that would go from the floor all the way up the walls because it was easier to hose the vomit and blood off. Yeah, that tracks. That tracks. I can't <laughs> say I've seen it in person, and yet everything that you're saying very much registers. Yeah. Well, everything you need to know that this movie is is you know in Australia is there's a scene in which uh, Linda, the main character, is talking to Connie, who I guess is the matron of the 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 senior citizen home. Yes. And Connie is hanging the laundry. And there's an enormous fucking spider on one of the oh, sheets. Yeah. And Linda yeah. just goes, bip, just yep. fix it away. <laughs> Nonchalant. Oh, I see these all the time. <laughs> yeah. I see this alien face hugger looking motherfucker all the time. It doesn't scare me at all. And I'm like, it's horrifying. <laughs> it, it's just, it's like, oh, she like t- lightly taps it in and falls to the ground. Mm-hmm. Probably to get swallowed by a giant snake that is then swallowed by a giant bat. More than like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, there is a moment where Linda goes skinny dipping with the guy mm-hmm. that she's shagging, who, of course, is played by Mr. Jared himself, a.k.a. Yes. Uh, no, I wanted to say wrong term, but that is the wrong hillbilly <laughs> horror film. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Is it Wolf Creek? Thank you. Yes. yes. Yeah. Wolf, Wolf Creek. Creek. He's looking young and hot and studly. But they go this skinny entire dipping. This podcast is us filling in the blanks from ever, from things that are escaping our minds. Just yes. to let you know. That's the common theme here. It's, it's going to be hun- Mad Libs for the next the, hour. The protagonist's <laughs> hunky boyfriend who is named... Barney. Yes. That's how you know it's the 80s still. (laughs) But they go skinny dipping in this chocolate brown marsh. And all I could think of is it's Australia. You don't know what's in that water. What are you doing? You're just going to come out of there like the entire lower half of your body just bitten off. (laughs) (laughs) We've seen Rogue. We know how big things get in the water. (laughs) And John Jarrett would go on to make his own giant alligator movie. Mm-hmm. He was in, was he also in rogue, but he was also, but his one is a dark age where is the, it's a giant uh, alligator puppet and it still freaks you out. Cause it eats children. Oh, I do love a movie where a child dies. Hmm. Yes. Well, I get on it. Okay. That's another one. That's very fucking hard to see. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I had always thought that this was kind of like his film debut, but actually he's in Picnic at Hanging Rock. Like he's been in the scene for a while there. And yes, he kind of goes into Vogue, but never really crosses over Mm -hmm. until his, you know, his sort of career is resurrected as far as American audiences are concerned with uh, Mick Taylor and Wolf Creek. Right. That's disappointing because I do find him a very compelling kind of sexy male lead in this film. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. I I think he, it, right away, you feel very comfortable with him on screen. You understand why someone would fall into bed mm-hmm. with John Jarrett. Like, it just makes sense. Even though our introduction to him is he walks up to Linda as they're hanging out outside of the motel where they're presumably going to have sex, even though we don't really see it. (laughs) Right. And she's like, where's your car? And he says, oh, my license got revoked again. (laughs) Like, (laughs) well, this dude is a catch. (laughs) (laughs) He's got so much going on. But then again, we barely see any non-retirement age men in Mm -hmm. this entire town, or quote unquote town. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. As close as we get to a sort of, a uh, teenage girl's bedroom in this movie is this hamburger joint that uh, starts the movie. And we have a, a like a space invaders knockoff called space age um, in there. And also this giant cardboard poster of legs. Mm-hmm. We never see the face of it. No. A very groovy pinball machine. And while the, while the uh, cook is making hamburgers, we get to see flies swarm around an Elvis poster. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it definitely sets the stage for, you know, things are going to be a little weird. Yes, 100%. You, you're out of sorts, as it were. You, you've got this, you you've had, got this small child who might be possibly trying to hit on, hit on her. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then you've also got this family where basically the discussion centers around the father beating his son. Yeah. Where he's going to hit him into the the end of next week. Mm -hmm. I think what he refers to it as. (laughs) While Linda makes this elaborate fork uh, sculpture. And refers to it later as a test of nerves. And we're going to see her nerves tested for the next 90 minutes. uh, In this motion picture. Um, It's really nerve wracking. And I think some of it has to do with the idea of inherited trauma. Her mother's sanity was in question. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the best mom, maybe a great caretaker. Uh, she definitely wanted to get the fuck out of that town. And yet she ended up being a teacher for special needs children. So in essence, she's chosen her mother's life in a different way, in a different town. She's really not all that different than her mom. And that is what is frightening to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the the kind of nonchalant exposition that gets dropped in this scene because we very quickly learn that her mother was an institution who was beloved by people. And it's very clear that Linda did not get what she needed from the upbringing. Like, there's a reason that she ran as far and as fast away from home as she could and has not been back in a very long time. Yeah. And we're also introduced to the concept of Montclair, which is this film's Waverly. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Um, I love I love the idea that this is an Australian Gothic film. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it totally is. Yeah. And that it's, you know, you would never really place those two things together naturally. Mm -hmm. But it also doesn't really feel like it's from outer space because it's very quickly established. Like everyone knows about this place in town. And when you see it, you're like, wow, that that's really different than the rest of the town. Mm-hmm. Because when she drives up, they're like, fire danger is so bad right now. Like, don't light anything. And then you go to this place and it's lush and it's green and it immediately starts to rain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah all, all, it needs, all it needs is that significant, like, you know, roll of thunder when she pulls up into the driveway. Right. And it you, basically the first half an hour takes place with like torrential downpours all mm-hmm. around. 
but it's this, you know, stormy night sort of feel that helps imbue the movie with a creeping dread. Linda enters a scene where she has a, a long-term caretaker really organizing the vast majority of everyone's affairs inside of this retirement community. And uh, she's uh, an interesting bird. Let's put it that way. Connie. (laughs) Because Connie feels like she has plans for you and you just don't know it. That's how she comes off. Yeah. Connie, you know, if you uh, look at the screenplay for this movie, uh, you know, Con- Connie's directions would probably mostly be she gives a knowing look. <laughs> she always looks like she knows about what's going on much more than everybody else does. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, she's almost this movie's Mrs. Danvers, only mm-hmm. it's revealed later that she's actually not malicious and she doesn't wish Linda any harm. But the slow 45 minute introduction to the action that makes up the back half of the movie is basically setting up Connie against Linda and also maybe saying, is this movie supernatural? Is this a ghost movie? Like next of kin is balancing so many different genres and moods and atmospheres. I, I find it delightful to try to figure out what the fuck are they doing with this movie right now? Yeah. Because it does really feel like to a certain degree uh, she's on a fault line with two plots against her that she's kind of unaware of. One is uh, my interpretation of Connie and Dr. Burton, who <laughs> we later learn she refers to Linda. She, he refers to Linda as like, I brought you into this world mm-hmm. and, but doesn't finish it up with, and I can take you out, but it's right. implied. Yep. Uh, he and Connie have a secret affair happening. They're also maybe bilking Montclair out of money or at least attempting to claim people are dead of various reasons that will get their benefits held uh, Mm -hmm. and keep coming to Montclair. I I think that's happening. Yeah, I think (laughs) no one says it out loud. I think, again, you're supposed to read this as nefarious and evil, but really it's just because Montclair has been run into the ground and they're about to go broke. Right, exactly. They're trying to really save Montclair. Right. um, To a degree. uh, And or convince Linda to sell it, which... (sighs) Oh, see, I don't uh, think they want her to sell. I definitely think she sweeps home after mom dies and she says, I don't need this shit anymore. I can't be here because I've got all this childhood trauma. And also uh, this place is just like a money pit. Let's get rid of it. And they, I think, believe that they can continue fudging the numbers to keep it sustainable, which is why they've right. you know allowed this new patient to come in unexpectedly, even though they told Linda they weren't going to take anyone new on. Yes. Um, and this new patient arrives uh, with no fanfare or, you know, the f- creepy means whatsoever. It just so happens that a boogie van arrives and a tree branch is lightened off right in front of it (laughs) very subtle but also it's played as a bit of weird comedy where you watch this adult man desperately trying to move his wheelchair bound mother over like he has to move a wheelchair and then he has to move her and then they're getting covered in the rain and you're just thinking what kind of asshole does this in the middle of the night in the middle of a storm like what a terrible son yeah. He, yes. You can tell that things are off. Like they're constantly conspiring with one another. The, the, the son is named Kelvin. Kelvin. <laughs> yeah. If you fuck up Kevin, um, that's how you get a Kelvin. And I, this is not good. This did not help Kelvin's anywhere. That's for damn sure. Have, has, have either of you ever met a Kelvin? I only know Kelvin as a unit of measurement. Like, isn't it related to heat? I believe it is, yes. I mean, I think it, it is technically a name, like an actual you know, name you would give a person. I, I, I don't know why you would. 
<laughs> Why would you be so mean? Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, you could, you know, what, Calvin isn't good enough. Calvin's a perfectly nice name. Right. Uh, no, let's go for Kelvin and and creepily smile at people. And, you know, your idea of flirting is trying to run, run them off, off the, the road. road. <laughs> <laughs> totally forgot about that scene. Like, are we thinking this is foreplay and he's just a little bit not all there? Yeah, he's really not all there. Spoiler alert. Listen, at this point, everyone, uh, if you want to go into Next of Kin without it being spoiled for you, um, this is where you would pause. Uh, From now on, we're we're just going to go whole hog into this thing. Um, Just know that everyone's everyone's a suspect baby mm-hmm. um <laughs> so you 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 know that going in it's absolutely worth your time and attention okay we're going to spoilers in three two one um man uh kelvin is uh he likes to hammer people we learn oh yeah, yeah he's having the time of his life doing that <laughs> he's, really into mini sledgehammers. And also we learn he likes to stick multiple hypodermic needles into people yeah. either before, during, or after their death. I'm sure. Well, you just have them goes. laying around. What else are you going to use? <laughs> <laughs> um, this movie has a ton of buildup. It's first death is very atmospheric. We have lengths, the kind of, uh, the one guy that Linda seems to automatically always be attached to mm-hmm. at the home. And as he's getting into the tub in the morning, uh, because he likes to come to breakfast late, he feels like the service is better that way. Um, <laughs> but it turns out uh, the tub is occupied by another dead gentleman. He almost steps right on his face. Could, oh you, could, you, could you imagine <laughs> It's horrifying, but this shot, this transition between him stepping on the dead man's face and then the switch to the body being pulled out of the water from an overhead shot is just like yeah. so gorgeous. And I, mm-hmm. yeah, I thought it was going for some, uh, you know, kind of shining thing where he was imagining oh, that the body was rising out of the water. But yeah. That, but that's just a really good transition. Uh-huh. And the yeah, movie no. is filled with stuff like that, where it it is trying to fool you into thinking something different is happening and then just kind of sitting back and poking fun at you for thinking that way. Like, haha, I got you. Right. The camera is always moving, even when like she's reading out of the diary. It's like swirling around mm-hmm. her. When people look out from their their individual rooms, the camera will travel along the wall of their line of sight, but not show you what they're looking at. Yeah. It's just creepy to the fucking max. It's so goddamn well-directed. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I think you, where you can get that sort of, uh, you know, is this as good as, as the shining sort of thing? It's trying and it also achieves on what? A 10th of the budget of the shining? Oh, sure. A fifth? And probably um, a much shorter have, production. Sure. Ab- oh my God. Absolutely. Um, there's whole dream sequences. And this, to me, this is why I kind of knew this would be a Gina Radcliffe. Okay. Motion picture. <laughs> because it's got two things going on here that make a, that I know Gina Radcliffe likes. And that is people hovering outside your window and knocking. You love that. <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong <laughs> yeah and it also has uh a dead bodies and wheelchairs being flung at you yeah oh my I, God, I, I, yes. that, that's that's that was my moment i'm like okay i'm invested in this film <laughs> <laughs> it took you that long come on gina <laughs> <laughs> it went from it went from it went from three stars to four stars after that fair 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 <laughs> um it's it's full of dream sequences and the camera work is just all over the place, but not in a Sam Raimi way, in sort of a, a slow motion way that um, I, just draws me in. I'm just fascinated by this motion picture every time I watch it. 
they also make really good use of that uh that sort of i, I mean i don't know if you call it a spiral staircase but but uh mm. the uh the staircase in the in the the old people's home they yeah. they they you know that seems to be like the centerpiece of you know a lot of the framing in the in the in the movie and it works really well Mm-hmm. Yeah, he finds ways to hang a camera off of thing and make and make that camera travel. And I don't I'm not entirely sure how he's doing this because like this is a real house. So it's not like you can pull they're not flyaway walls. Mm-hmm. You know, you're dealing with real architecture. You you have to make do with what you have. And the amount of invention here. I think is like the same level of invention you end up getting out of Mad Max, you know, just a year later, or maybe that was a year before was Mad, was the Mad first Max, Mad was, Max was, was, was like 1981. Yeah. I think that came first. Yeah. yeah. So I just, I think Australians and in this case, a New Zealander who was, you know, coming down to Australia to work. I just feel like they wanted to do stuff with the camera. They didn't yeah. want it to just sit around, you know, they, they wanted it to move and become a character in the piece. And that is really evident in this motion picture. Yeah. It's strange. You could almost say that it's experimental, except that it's so obviously controlled. Like they know exactly what they're trying to achieve whenever they're moving yeah. the camera around. Like, but part of it is so psychological to me. Like, really, this is Linda's movie. We have a bunch of other characters, but they are not really characters. They're just people that Linda is interacting with. So mm-hmm. it's really important that we stay focused and invested and really uh, along for the journey as she's uncovering more things about her aunt and reading her mom's letters. And it's so fascinating how the camera movement is supporting that effort because it would be really boring to just watch her lay on the floor and read a letter or walk down a hall. So it's like, let's speed it up. Let's spin the camera around. Let's do slow motion. It's, Mm -hmm. it's just all to suck us in so that when we do get to the really bombastic stuff at the end and the camera work and the editing really speeds up all of a sudden, I'm like, Whoa, we're watching things get jammed in people's eyes through keyholes and hammers (laughs) are coming out. Yeah, I love, I love the the last half an hour of this motion picture are absolutely rock star directing. It just, mm-hmm. it's a, it's such a fucking shame. This guy did not get to do more things because this is like a Hitchcock level ability to hold an audience in, in my mind. He just is letting you get sucked into her doubts and her worries and her anxieties, you know, is she like her mom? Is she too much like her mom? Is she mm-hmm. not enough like her mom? You know, she obviously feels like her mom held too many secrets. Yeah. And one of those secrets is a, a secret sister whom she was told was dead and is very much alive, baby. <laughs> Yeah, in all of those ways, Gina, your comparison or your recommendation of Hereditary as a double bill with this film makes perfect sense, right? Because it's all about being haunted by your mother's decisions and then quite literally haunted to the point of near death. And you, yeah. and being and being made to pay for your, your parent having secrets, keeping mm-hmm. secrets from you. Yes, very much so. As in Hereditary... The whole idea of her making those tiny houses and all the intricate things that are inside there is her attempting to tell her own story and construct a a story that she's okay with or at least understand her own world. And in here, Montclair is a life-size version of that. Mm -hmm. Like she, there are parts of it that she obviously has great affection for. And then there's all these memories that are wrapped up into it. And the fact that her mother was never telling her the truth or never could, never had the ability to tell her the truth. And everyone else is shielding her as well. It's like, you know, Dr. Barton and Connie know the truth. They're not fucking ponying up with what's really going on. Well, I'm curious. So there's a moment near the finale when Rita 
legit does a wig reveal to yeah. <laughs> identify herself, to which I, I loved. It's like she yeah. pulls off the wig and then Kelvin's hair just gets astronomically larger. And I was like, oh, okay, we've entered this mode of madness now. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. But Rita makes this comment when she's doing her villain monologue exposition thing. And she says, I was the sane one and it was your mother who was the one who was actually insane and she just put me away. And I love that the movie lets you sit with that. Like Rita is very obviously deranged because she's gone full homicidal, but there's every implication that she may not be wrong. And this movie loves to hint at things, but not actually answer because it's more interesting to just tease it. And I love that idea. Like, what if Rita was sane and she got put away and then it drove her mad? Mm. Mm. I love that entire sequence. When Linda walks into the room and sees a, a what appears to, what maybe in her mind, she might think, that's my mom. Mm-hmm. Because it's a woman wearing my mother's bathrobe. Oh, it's full psycho. And it turns yeah. around. And total psycho homage. And then you have that whole reveal of taking (laughs) de-wigged, wig flown. (laughs) And the, the, I was the sane one and you almost believe it. And then he cuts away to her blood covered hand that Linda cannot see and unlocking the door behind her back. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, holy shit. This is so fucking good. I love it. I and love it's, this movie. And it's terrifying when Kelvin gets into the room and he's just playing with Linda and that hammer. Oh, yeah. I, I forgot how long we have to sit with that because he's got her at the end of the bed and then he gets her on the bed. And yes, you and know. He, and he's, he's doing some kind of thing where he's like not kissing her, but rubbing his face on her, which is mm-hmm. like... Yeah. I'm like, my like, God, what is he doing? Yeah. It's like he's a dog of some kind. Um, he's like nipping at her. A little it's bit, just, yeah. Yeah, it, it, and they're cousins. Um, oh, right, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's put that out there. This is a, this is not a relationship that's going somewhere uh, other than to a morgue. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- there is a level of... A, play mixed with sexual violence yeah and thank god he's got balls because uh that is really helpful to linda in getting out of that situation is finding a way to get her leg right up into his balls and hiding in the bathroom where she discovers the you know old Voorhees uh, <laughs> corpse display <laughs> Of Dr. Barton and Connie. And they're in just a blood red tub. Like it's just filled with Euro horror blood. Mm -hmm. It doesn't look like real blood. This is tenebrae blood. And I love that we've been teasing this image the entire film, right? Like we just keep finding bodies in bathtubs or bodies of water. And it's already happened earlier with Barney's, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say slutty because clearly Barney was diddling other women when Linda wasn't there because she's been gone for so long, but let's call it, call her, her Linda's rival. There we go. Thank you, Gene. Here's the the three things we know about Carol. Uh, She refers to Barney as Barnes, which Linda finds incredibly funny. Mm -hmm. Two, she wore a raspberry beret. And, Uh, she's been keeping Barney's penis warm for Linda. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. As one is apt to do. She drives a hot car. It's a small Mm -hmm. town. And as you said earlier, Patrick, the availability of attractive young men is, uh, it's not great. No, no. Um, But Barney definitely, once Linda arrives back in town, he's like, oh, thank God. Um, I'm, I'm, Thank thank God you're back because uh, I really uh, wanted to be having sex with you this entire time. So if we could continue to do that, I would greatly appreciate it. Mm-hmm. But he never goes full on. Have you considered my penis? No, and not that at all. To me, that to me is a real sign of a good horror movie boyfriend. He yeah, whether he gentleman. whether he believes her, whether he believes her or not, he's at least willing to help her 
figure things out. Yes. He doesn't yeah. want to see her in pain. He doesn't want to see her in, in an anxious state on that level. You know, he's playful and whatnot when she kind of freaks out that someone might be watching them in the woods. Mm-hmm. Turns out she's right. Right. But, um, you know, he also is very quick to go, listen, whatever is making you uncomfortable at Montclair or here, let's solve that problem. I mm-hmm. want to help you. And he comes off as a, a real up soon to be dead boyfriend. And he <laughs> sure gets to be a, a dead boyfriend when he is shoved out of a room on a wheelchair and his dead body is just launched on top of her. He it's like might as well like be like evil sp- Knievel. It's like, so it's, like, it's like spring activated or something. Absolutely. It's like a hallmark moments in horror wheelchair springboard action. It's like this and children of the corn too. Yes. Top tier. <laughs> Ooh, the, the level of yes that came out of you, Gina, makes me think, oh, should we be covering children of the corn too? I mean, Just no, but alone. also yes. <laughs> The thing I enjoy about this is that it's not a horror or a comedy at the expense of a disabled character. It's just that we have a wheelchair because we are at a retirement community. So it Mm -hmm. makes it more appropriate to laugh when we do get a slow motion aerial shot of him just launching into her arms. (laughs) And then the horror of what has happened sinks in because he was alive maybe two minutes ago and yeah. now he's just dead in her arms. And also imagining like probably a good 180 to 200 pound, like jacked beefcake of just sheer dead body falling on top of you. Well, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a real slab of man. Yeah. Um, and uh, previous to that, we're going very out of order. But <laughs> I apologize. To go back to, are, are talking about horror characters in the order in which they die has gone out the window, folks. Um, Connie is revealed to be in the fountain. Um, and uh, the what I love about that one is her neck has been slashed. And, and it's sort of revealed when the fountain turns blood red. Yeah. And then Linda looks over and finds the beret and then looks down and uh Con- and then Carol is there at her th- throat slashed but her pulse racing <laughs> racing It's funny though cuz even in this the- moment I I still for one second briefly wondered if this was Linda going slowly mad because Yeah you, you you just get this really agonizingly slow tilt down this water fountain as you're watching this, you know, as you said, the Eurocentric Jello-esque red liquid pour out. And you think, oh, no, she's lost it. And then she, like, mm-hmm. lifts up a, a lagoon patty and it's like, oh, no, Carol's there. Never mind. You're fine, Linda. You're fine. <laughs> you got a fugue stay coming, baby, but uh, you're right. fine for now. And who can blame her? Um, the uh, once she's in the bedroom and and uh, Kelvin has attacked her and she's she's at least put a door between herself and Kelvin and she gives him a a, a real judo chop with a, a stool onto mm-hmm. his spine which knocks him out. And it's the first spinal knockout I think we've seen on the show. <laughs> yeah yeah I, I thought she hit him with something i was like oh wait no she just you know you know did a you know, game of the old suplex <laughs> you know? <laughs> gave him the the people's uh, uh sitting stool basically <laughs> well the, you know they've got hardier wood down there it's not so cheaply manufactured and you know shipped across borders it's like it's good firm salt of the earth wood and Kelvin has had a night, right? Like he's full of adrenaline and one knock of the spine. He's going to go sleepy time for at least for a little while, mm-hmm. but that's okay. Cause, cause mommy's taken over. That's right. Rita is in business and she's already got her hands covered in blood. You know, why not finish Linda off? The only thing holding uh, her off is, is a door again, you know, bringing those shining vibes to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then she very methodically says to Linda, I can see you. And Linda looks over and notice that. Yeah, very much so. Totally. Um, 
great homage to to Black Christmas. Uh, Rita can see through the keyhole and into the mirror, so she can see what Rita is doing. Now, Rita, I'm sorry, Linda does what we would all do, which is cover that with your butt, mm-hmm. reach over <laughs> very slowly, and get your hair pick. Now, if there's one thing that we see a lot of in, the, in this movie is Linda's hair maintenance. Mm-hmm. And yet it is full of crazy flyaways and bizarre hair ideas. She's got one part of her bang just in a rubber band mm-hmm. just to the side of her face. Like I haven't seen that outside of the Brady Bunch. Yeah. There's also that one look where she looks like she's got an updo and then as she's driving away, she just like flicks it and the whole thing just unspools (laughs) and you think, my God, why are you wasting your time with old people and special needs children? You could be a hair model. Yes. Uh, She does need a quick VO5 treatment. Let's put it that way. Especially by the end. Yeah. Yeah. Her hair is lacking for natural oils. So that's a problem. She may be over uh, hair drying. That might be part of the problem. But I think in every other circumstance this actress was ever in, her hair was gorgeous. And you you can tell she's got a lot of it. Mm -hmm. But she reaches over for this very thin hair pick. And then, you know, like she's practiced, moves out of the way and jams it through the keyhole right into Auntie Rita's eye. Yeah, that 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 takes that that takes her right out too. We don't we do not get a you know a, a you know oh she's dead you know she you moves past her but she grabs her ankle. Nope, doesn't happen. Nope, Mm-mm. nope. <laughs> she that's all. She her most vulnerable place is her eye. We don't we know we don't learn this um, you know on camera, but rather by putting the pieces together after the fact. Yeah, it's like her uh, Achilles let's just call eye. her dead. <laughs> Her Achilles eye, sure, absolutely. Um, so uh, she makes a run for it in a glorious slow motion run. Not only slow motion running, but slow motion sound. Mm-hmm. So her screams like, it's <laughs> 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 like you've never heard this before. You'll never hear it again. It's fucking amazing. And of course, this is being captured by the camera strapped to the ceiling and and in slow motion tracking with her keeping her at the center of the frame Mm -hmm. it's fucking nuts and i love it yeah yeah it's so good and you think okay well she's escaped from the manor uh villains have been dispatched so we are good to go and then you look at the time and you realize no there's a Mm. curiously long amount still left in this movie where (laughs) oh fuck right because you gave us the ending of the movie at the beginning so we know Mm. we've got to get back to that fucking gas station right and in the middle of or you know this is like right before dawn for whatever reason and nico the owner's son happens to be in there in a spaceman suit just this 10 this 10 year old is just you know hanging around the diner child endangerment he even offers to make her a burger oh i I love that when she's starting to zone out and it goes that great moment where she just sort of they they just switch over to like a ballroom dancing competition or something Mm -hmm. and the kid's like you know can i make you a burger (laughs) ice cream pasties (laughs) just just rattling off food (laughs) rattling off various diner accoutrement Mm -hmm. it's like that that sequence in the in the movie that we covered for you on on horror queers joe where a guy uh literally had an erection because someone was listing off milkshake uh, flavors flavors. oh my god (laughs) the quiet a perfect no I was going to say, it's a perfect film. And I was like, no, the conversation was perfect and the movie is garbage. (laughs) Look, I am inviting you two back for another go around and I can't promise the new film's going to be any better, but we're going to have a lot of fun. (laughs) We are. I I already own it. Um, Very much looking forward to it. Um, Holding off, though, Mm because I I don't want to watch it too early. Uh, We want to savor that sort of uh, witchiness. Anyways, that will be for horror queers uh, next month. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's finish this off because this denouement, this ending sequence, 
I feel like it's a real, um, it's a touch point for Ozploitation horror mm-hmm. where they're like, let's have one crazy fucking sequence in the third act. Just like, if you think we've topped it, no, no, no. We've saved one thing that's really going to blow your mind. Mm-hmm. So as Linda has gone into this fugue state and just ma- is making yet another, you know, mound of something. <laughs> this, in, in this case, it's sugar cubes uh, in another test of nerves. But she's just out of it. And so out of she, it. She's making it, making it, and it's huge. And she runs out of sugar cubes. And Nico passes her another full bowl. Mm -hmm. And as as she puts it on top, something uh, rattles. Yeah. And they look out the window and Kelvin is driving a fucking boogie van through the front (laughs) of this store. So good. I I just like the idea that, that, uh, you know, where else would she be? Oh, this diner. There's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else because we already established that the fireman's hall is closed for the evening. So one of our two venues in town, not available. So she's got to be at the other one. She does push the video game in front of the door so that you can't get in that way. Mm -hmm. But she exposes the curtains fall down as the result, which I guess is why Kelvin decides, fuck it. I'm going to drive a van all the way through. Um, And uh, it's wild. Yes. And it's so over the top. Like you're just kind of, you're blasted into the back of your seat. And the way I feel every single time, even though I know it's going to happen, it just, it's fucking crazy. Mm -hmm. And so as a result of this, uh, you begin to have a series of Hitchcockian, you know, uh, final destination-esque complications here. (laughs) Um, Nico is, has not loaded the shotgun that he's holding with all of his army accoutrement. Uh, He begins to load it underneath the table Meanwhile, Kelvin starts to bash open the already broken windshield with his sledgehammer in the hopes to crawl out and kill somebody. The complication being a loose wire hanging right in front of, uh, of, of that window. So he can't get out without electrifying himself. Once, uh, once Linda gets that shotgun, she begins shooting as many things as she can that isn't him. <laughs> she shoots that video game. Shoots a hole in the gas tank. And already, once the gas tank happens, you're like, oh, I see where this Here is Here we go. We yeah. have a, a loose electrical wire. We have gasoline. But that's really not enough for Linda because she pumps another shell in that bad boy and just takes off Kelvin's head maniac style. But I love that it's not even that she finally gets the right shot in. She takes the gun and she just rides right up to the front bumper points the gun and we just get this exploding headshot and you just think oh well that's one way to do it yeah okay (laughs) yeah she is not fucking around she's putting kelvin in the dirt uh and then after that it's a slow walk outside uh there are many slow walks in this movie Mm -hmm. um but she puts nico in the passenger seat seat and uh, walks around to the other side that the camera is in the back of her truck and the whole denouement of this is the explosion of this diner yeah what happened was is that uh and and what it was meant to happen was they drive away and the camera hits a sign that says don't play with fire and turns around and catches the entire thing exploding Someone set it off early. Mm. So as it turns, you see the reflection of the fireball in that don't play with fire sign and turns around and you get a second and third explosion on top of it. Yeah. And it just makes it fucking better. Like it's a happy accident. Yeah. It's so much better, right? Because you already know it's going to happen. So for the timing to happen right as we see the sign is way better. Yeah. No. It just all of it works towards the the loosey-goosey, happy accident that this motion picture is. The idea that this van is, like, so menacing. <laughs> it's just going to drive all the way through this diner and kill them. 
Well, I love that that's, that to me distinguishes this film in part from an American counterpart. And thank God we never got a remake or something. But in an American film, Kelvin would have driven through and then the van would have gotten stuck. And it would have been like, oh, he can't get out. He's not as big of a threat. And here he literally plans to drive over them because he just keeps coming. And it's very exciting. Um, it also reminds me a lot of the end, the third act of Road Game, which also okay. involves a boogie van yes. and an entire 18-wheeler truck. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to give it away, but holy shit, does that movie also have a great, like, capper at mm-hmm. the end of it. It's just amazing. Uh, yep. And that movie's uh, also and- super stylish. It also features a weird gas station encounter. And it also features a director who really didn't make a lot of movies afterwards, sadly. Yeah. Yeah. Although he did make Psycho 2, a movie mm-hmm. we have to cover on this podcast. Oh my yes. God. You two haven't covered Psycho 2? We were on another, no. we were on another podcast talking about it, uh, but we have not, we have not done a whole episode about it yet ourselves. And have you done Psycho 3? No, we haven't done any of the no. Psycho movies yet. Oh my no. goodness, you too. Gina, have you Maybe seen Psycho 3? Maybe that's season four. You never no. know. It's it's coming upon us. Yeah. Maybe the year's changing over. We, we, ha- we have to close this book and start another. <laughs> Uh, and, and the way we close every book on this podcast is we play a little game called Choose Your Own Death Venture. And that's where we decide of the deaths portrayed in this motion picture, uh, if you had to die that way, which one would you choose and why? So up for, uh, uh, you know, selection here, we have have a stroke and drown in a bathtub, slashed and left for dead in a fountain, stabbed to death and then pushed in a wheelchair. Uh, stabbed, brutalized, punctured multiple times with many hypodermic needles and left in a blood-filled bathtub and stabbed in the eye to death <laughs> and shotgun to the head and then exploded in a defenestrated van. And so, Joe, you're our, our returning champion. I choose for you to go first. Oh my gosh, there's only one answer I could possibly give you. Uh, if I get to look like Barney and also go out like Evil Knievel, then that is the <laughs> only choice I could ever pick. I Listen, how could I ever deny you? Like, who wouldn't want to go out like that, honestly? And mm-hmm. Gina, I, I even wonder if I should ask you what, how you want what your death venture to be. Oh, no, I'm getting flanged out of a wheelchair. <laughs> if, if I could do some sort of like, you know, Olympic, like kind of, you know, forward roll on doing it even better because you know, oh, I, yeah. believe, I believe in showmanship. But yeah, I mean, obviously it's going to be the, 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 the flung out of a wheelchair. No, no, that makes perfect sense. Uh, yeah, there's only one death that I want to be a part of, and that is be killed mysteriously, uh, probably stabbed. And then, you know, take a flying leap after the fact, uh, you know, on top of a a very uh, attractive, you know, young lady. What better way to do it? Like, if I'm going to die on top of Jackie Karen, this is the way to go, people. I, I I think my family would be a little upset about it, but other than that, but, she, but, but you'll be but you'll be dead. You'll be you dead. Yeah, they won't. I won't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah, uh, and that just about does it, Joe. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, you know, and what you do, and what you write, and what you talk about. All right. So I've been told that I'm doing a lot of things. So the easiest way for people to keep track of me is to probably follow me on Twitter or Instagram at B still my remote. And that's the letter B. And if you want to listen to horror queers, it comes out every Wednesday. And that is at horror queers on Twitter and Instagram. Right. And, and if people want to hear even more horror queers, you have an entire Patreon where multiple times a week you have new episodes coming out so like people can get a lot of you this is true right now which i don't envy because have you heard the way that i speak it's not great but um (laughs) also people should be listening to gina's and my side hustle which is called white ladies in crisis we do it with uh jenna adams from psychoanalysis and the losers podcast and we're covering erotic horror so it's similar to your kill by kill after dark, but we're trying to make sure that we're not duplicating because that would be mean for Gina. <laughs> yes. 
I think you guys are covering some of the better examples and we're trying to cover some of the worst. Uh, uh, <laughs> the beauty. It's the differentiation point. <laughs> if there is one. Other than the fact that I think both podcasts could talk about the same movie in completely different ways. And the only thing they have in common is the one, the only Gina Radcliffe. Speaking mm-hmm. of which, where can people find you, Gina, on these here internets? I write about movies and television at thespool.net. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram under Gina Does Things. That's G E N A. All right. Do it today, people. Check it out. You can uh, listen to us. Uh, on all your podcatchers, but you know what you really ought to do is give us a nice review. Uh, that would be cool if you did that. If you rate and review us on any of your podcatchers that happen to have that sort of functionality, uh, that would be soups cool, y'all. Um, <laughs> you know, we make a promise here. If you tell us what your your favorite uh, death is in any of the films that we've covered, uh, we will talk about it here on the podcast. Um, uh, one such person, Jason Dean, AKA JD, um, states that, uh, that he feels that we're hilarious, witty, and never feel mean spirited, which I enjoy very much. He, he came on during the fan. So there you go. Uh, and then, uh, we have Spectre 7505, uh, who says my favorite kill in the films that we've covered is Warren Stacy's execution by Charles Bronson in 10 to midnight. It's pretty Jesus. sweet. It's pretty sweet. <laughs> dead to rights in the middle of those LA streets and more otter also gave us a five-star review. So thank you very much for helping us be seen and heard by more people uh, on these here internets. Of course, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash kill by kill, where this month will not only have a listener's choice, but at the end of the month, we will have our Halloween two commentary. Mm-hmm. So you get two uh, episode extra episodes from us. Every month, if you're at the $5 and above level, uh, we would appreciate that. You know what our socials are. And go on to Public. We have cool new t-shirts that, that are done in the style of horror movies. We've got Halloween, uh, Friday the 13th, and Nightmare on Elm Street. They're fantastic. Uh, more fun stuff coming. Uh, next week, more After Dark. Uh, and then after that... Uh, we it's Saw's giving everybody, oh, and we got a great guest. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening. Are you going we're at all it. We in said order? We never do it again, and never believe us because we're we're liars. Are we're you, doing it again? Are you we doing it at all in guest. order, though? No, no, we were no, doing. That's not okay. what we're Saw's doing, giving is about. Yeah, Joe. we've we've <laughs> only seen um the first one and whatever the hell when we cover the fourth one. Right, that's yeah. the whole thing. We're just doing them completely at random. Okay, yeah. But what matters is what we see, what's in front of us. If if Saw can't deliver a great movie under those conditions, Joe, then, you know, I mean, that's Saw's problem. But Saw's giving is for everyone, right? All right? Yes. Well, okay. Godspeed to you both then. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the <laughs> people, going... the people, the, the people responded. They said, do more Saw. Oh, of course. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we're doing it like anyone would do it once a year after Thanksgiving where it's supposed to be Mm -hmm. (laughs) if it's saw it's the day after thanksgiving i think was what they put on the poster yes i think i remember that yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) i know a lot about saw um after watching two of them so i think i'm an expert (laughs) uh but that just about does it don't worry folks the body count will continue for myself and for gina and joe bye-bye everybody Bye. bye